Excited to be with you guys this morning. No ocean view today, unfortunately, but we'll try to get through this. We are going to finish our series, The Church of Jesus Heart, uh, with a letter from Jesus to Laodicea. Uh, so what I want to do first is just read the letter, and then we're going to uh, dissect that a little bit going forward. And, and so we're going to start in Revelation 3, verse 14 through 22, to the church in Laodicea. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, and I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Laodicea was a wealthy city. It was a banking center, and, and they had a lot of resources and a, and a lot of things to, that, that they really just didn't have any needs. It was the wealthiest city of the seven. The believers in Laodicea, they kind of portrayed themselves as being self-sufficient, uh, self-sustaining. They really didn't need anything from anybody. They were getting along just fine. But Jesus saw that their situation was a lot different than how they saw their situation, to him, they were spiritually blind, and they were destitute. But worse than that, Jesus says that they were spiritually indifferent, and they were lukewarm. It's an interesting note that as we were studying uh, the, the seven churches here, it always, the letter always starts with a little bit of encouragement. I heard it said that uh, someone in our staff meeting years ago says, uh, you, you want the hammer or the hug, Right, So Jesus gives you the hug first and says, you know, this is what I see and, and this is what I'm proud of you for. And then he lays the hammer down and says, now this is what you need to work on. And so he does this consistently through all the letters until this one. There's no hug. There is nothing that he says that, that is encouraging in this letter. It's the first one and the only one. And I know what you guys may be thinking. You might be thinking, well, that's not nice. And I know you think that, that, that it's not nice because you're church people and you're sensitive and we want to be full of grace and we've got to be full of hope and we've got to see the best of people. Not necessarily a bad thing, but here Jesus is saying, I'm not seeing any of that. And you kind of think that if you don't have anything nice to say, we're not supposed to say anything at all. But I would say that this letter might be actually the most loving of the seven those of us who kind of like to encourage people and, and maybe have a little thinner skin, which I do, so when you're getting corrected or confronted a little bit, it stings a little bit more than, than maybe some other people. 
And so when you read this letter and it's full of correction and, and, and full of conviction, this, this can be tough because you always want to look for something good in every situation and in everybody. And I think that's a good thing. Keep doing that. We need more kindness. But sometimes in life, and Jesus is putting this out, this letter, as proof. Sometimes in life, the most loving thing that you can do for someone is simply tell them the truth. And it might have to tell them the truth and, and say that this, you, you see something in someone's life and you have to call it out and say, you know, this is unacceptable. That this is not glorifying to God. And because I love you and because I care for you and because I want the best for you, I believe it's time to repent. I believe it's time to change. And it's time to seek a better way. It's time to seek the truth. So with that heart and with that mindset, I want to read this verse that kind of sticks out in this letter, one that we probably all heard before, and it's Revelation 3, 15 through 16. It says, I know your works. You were neither cold nor hot. Well, that you were either cold or hot, but because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, like I said, Laodicea was the wealthiest of the seven cities, but the city had a problem with their water supply. And so they had to build an aqueduct to bring and pipe water into the city. And by the time the water actually reached Laodicea, the water was lukewarm. And so the church has become as bland as the water that came into the city. And we don't like drinks and water and, and things that are, that are lukewarm. If, if, if we're drinking coffee, we want it hot unless it's iced. If we want water, cold water, we want it cold. We don't want it lukewarm. That's why you go to a restaurant and you order coffee. They're always warming it up because they know that it is unappealing to drink lukewarm coffee. They want to give you a warm-up. So a couple weeks ago, family and some friends of ours, we went to Winthrop for a couple days. And uh, Taylor's sitting over to my right. I want to know. I caught 12 fish, by the way. <laughs> put a picture of that up on the screen see how that goes but anyway I'm I'm still recovering anyway it was hot if you guys over but go to Winthrop it's hot there in the summer so it was like 95 it was pushing uh three digits here it was 100 degrees almost and and we decided four of us decided to go golfing on the hottest day that we were there now, I don't know if you know this about golf courses, but the hotter the temperature goes, the more hills that they have on the course. So by hole five, I'm ready for the Lord to take me home. I was miserable. And so mid-round, I was, I was getting really thirsty, and that brought me back to right before we left. We were at the, uh, the house there, and, and Brandy looked at me, and she goes, you might want to bring some water with you. Normally, when Brandy says you might want to bring some water with me, I just like, I'm fine. Because I always find something, so nah. But I'm around friends and stuff like that, so I don't do this to my wife around other people, just, just at home. So I said, thank you, beautiful, lovely wife. I will take the water, and I put it in my golf bag. By mid-round, I'm thirsty, and I'm hot, and I'm sweating, and I'm mad because I got a double bogey on a par three when I was on in one. And I decided I paid money for this misery. So I'm thirsty, and I, so I remember the, the water. I grab it, and it was warm. And the last thing you want when you're hot and you're sweating and you want a cold drink, I would have rather have a hot cup of coffee at that time than just lukewarm water. It was unappealing. And Jesus here is looking at the context of the culture and says, I, you see something that I can relate to. You know what it, looks, the sound, what it feels like to have this lukewarm water and you know how unappealing it is. And this is what the church has been, in my, in my view, 
It's like if, that's why Jesus is such a great teacher. He can take context of culture and, and make you think about and put it and apply it in your life. It's like if he would write a, church, a letter to New Song and said, you know, I'm kind of frustrated with you guys. You know how you work hard all day and all week and you have just a couple days, maybe a Saturday to get some errands done and you decide to go get groceries at Costco and so you get the family in the car and you go to Costco and you pull in the parking lot and you're like, Canadian holiday. And you're about ready to lose your religion because you can't find parking. And you know, once you get in, you're going to be a battle. And you see how frustrated you get? That's how I feel about you guys. That's kind of the context that Jesus has done here. And so he's saying, you know, you wish you had a hot cup of water, a coffee. You wish you had a cold glass of water on a hot day. You're frustrated. You're complaining because all you, what you have is, unple- is unpleasant. And that's what the church in Laodicea has become to me. It's become lukewarm. So what's lukewarm? It's really indifference. Indifference will lead to idleness if we're not careful. So how does this pertain to us as a church? How does this pertain to us individually as followers of Jesus? How do we know if we're lukewarm or not? I guess the question we have to ask ourselves is, what savior are we worshiping? Are we worshiping saviors that honestly can't save? Saviors such as success, provision, pleasure, comfort. Or is our Savior, Jesus Christ, the only one that really can save? Where are your eyes and what are you pursuing? My worshiping saviors that can't save. Francis Chan actually wrote a book called Crazy Love. And in it, he wrote out some things that may identify you as a lukewarm Christian if you fall into some of these and I don't have time to list them all, but I would check it out. It's interesting. But I did want to point out three that kind of stood out to me. And when I say stood out, I mean convicted me. And, and so maybe these are some things that you might want to, to wrestle with over the week and just say, you know, is there any part of me that's, that's in any of these categories? So one of the things he says is lukewarm Christians don't really want to be saved from their sin. Which I thought was interesting. And I looked at that and I'm like, I don't believe it. I think we do want to be saved from our sin, regardless of the temperature of our walk with Jesus. But then if you read further, he says, lukewarm Christians don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They're not really convicted by the sin itself. They don't see it as sinful and grotesque as Jesus might. They just don't want any consequence to it. Convicting. The second one that he said is lukewarm Christians do not live by faith. Their lives are structured so they don't ever have to. That you structure your life where you you can just depend on on what you can give yourself and what you can do. And this quote by David Platt says that if you're not in a place where you feel desperate for the spirit of God, then there's no way you're on the front lines of the mission. When you're on the front lines, we feel desperately our need for God's help. So where are you relying on, on in your life for, for help and for success and for, for, for moving the ball forward in your life? Is it, is it what you can provide or are you desperate for God? And lastly, he says, lukewarm Christians give God their leftovers and not their first and best. 
And I thought this was interesting because we've said this before, we've preached this before, and, and I wasn't even gonna add it until I started reading a little bit and I saw this line and I, when I read it, I was like, oh boy. And it says, stop calling your complacency and apathy a busy schedule. And we can do that so easily. We can look at our calendars, we can look at our lives and make excuses for not doing the things that God has actually called us to do. I know when Brandy and I were younger parents, we had little kids and having little ones are great because they're like the get out of jail free card. Like you can get out, you can get out of so much crap you don't want to get into because you have kids, right? Or you can leave early, you can do whatever you want. It's beautiful and, so, and it's legit, but sometimes it's just, hey, I got them, I gotta go. You know, it's, it's a great thing. We don't have that anymore. Our kids are growing up. I can't say, well, I gotta stay home and watch Dylan. I would be, I would, I would need, you guys should be worried about that if that's the case. I should be worried about that. No, we don't. But what can we use? We could use our busy schedule. I don't have time. I gotta go this way or this way. And, and, and we can use a calendar that we fill up ourselves with stuff that we wanna do or what we think is important and miss out on opportunities that maybe God has for us. God doesn't want us to have faded, lukewarm faith the rest of our lives. And the good news, we don't have to. Because God has given us everything that we need to have a strong and vital faith in him. Colossians 2.7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. As a follower of Jesus, being rooted in the faith is really just having this knowledge of God's love. And it's like a plant that has strong and deep roots. Being built up is like a building on a strong foundation laid on a solid rock. It's a symbolize, it's, it symbolizes a deep relationship with God, a meaningful and intentional relationship with God, as opposed to a shallow or a lukewarm one. And the good news for all of us here, it doesn't matter where we are in our faith walk, wherever we are, it can still get strengthened. And if you find yourself in any of those categories that we just read, or you're, you're kind of feeling a little conviction, like maybe, maybe I have kind of have laid into the lukewarmness of Christianity, there's hope for us because your faith, my faith, all of our faith as, as a church also, it can be strengthened. So how do we do that? Real quickly, there's really three things that will help our, our faith be strengthened. First, you gotta focus your faith. For many of us, faith is just this vague feeling sometimes that comes and goes, and sometimes it's strong and sometimes it's not. You ever have those times when you just feel like you're so connected with God and sometimes you just, you think that he's disappeared on you? It's because we lost our focus. Where are your eyes? Where's your faith focus? Are you focusing on Jesus or are you focusing on saviors that can't save? 1 John 5, 12 says, whoever has the son has life. We want life. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And the truth is, we've said this before uh, many times, that what you focus on grows. So where are your eyes? In your life, where is your focus? Are they on things that are troubling? Are they on things that you believe you need to get through life or are they on the one that saves you, died for you and loves you more than anything else in this earth? 
Where is your focus? The second thing we gotta do is feed our faith. And just like our, our, our physical bodies, if we don't give it proper nourishment, it'll get weaker and weaker until it just fades out. And, and, and just like that, it, our, our faith is the same way. We need spiritual food in our lives. And God has given us the very thing that we need to strengthen our spiritual walk. Things like prayer. Things like community, each other, church, small groups, being around people that love God and will love you is important. The spiritual disciplines, daily reading of the word. And I think daily reading of the word might be for a lot of us the hardest one to stay consistent on. We can go to church every Sunday. We can go to our small group. We can do fun things like the outdoor service and, and we can pray because we can, we can stick that in, in a time when we're driving to work and that's convenient for us. But sometimes getting into the word is the one that's hardest to schedule and we let it slip. But if you look at Romans ten seventeen, it says, so faith, and this is what we wanna strengthen here. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's just saying is don't neglect time in the Bible. And remember what we spoke about, our busy schedule. And it can be an excuse for complacency. It can be an excuse for not doing some things that we should be doing because we're filling our lives with stuff that's not quite as important. And what you value in your life, you schedule. So does Jesus need an appointment in your calendar? A certain time where it's just you and Jesus every day Put it in your calendar and write it in pen. This is, doesn't get interrupted because it's the most important part of your day. And we know that when you start doing this and when you miss it, you start feeling weaker and weaker and weaker. And a lot of us feel this, this, this lethargy because we haven't been doing it. And it's time to start feeding our faith. So we focus our faith, we feed our faith, and then we follow our faith. Basically, whatever we believe we're gonna put it on display. We're gonna showcase it. We're gonna put it into action and we're gonna talk about that here in a second. But when people see you, they see Jesus because they see Jesus in the way that you talk to other people, the way you serve other people, the way you schedule your life and what you do, the way that you love others. James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not here is only deceiving yourself, is that we're gonna focus on Jesus and we're gonna feed our faith and then we're gonna take all of that and we're not gonna contain it, but we're gonna pour it back out. We're gonna be doers of the word. So what action step can we really take with all of that? Really, it's, it's every day, can you do one thing that will lead you closer to God? One thing, what can you do today that will take you one step closer to the one who loves you. And, and sometimes we gotta be careful about how we evaluate ourselves because you, we either run one or two ways. You're either your worst critic or you give yourself so much grace. And you gotta remember the people in Laodicea, you know, Jesus says, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I mean, this is what Jesus said to them. This is hardly how they viewed themselves. They were self-sufficient, they were fine. But sometimes God's evaluation is not necessarily the same as ours. But the good news about all this is that the fact that he still 
rebuking his church tells us that he still very much loves his church. And that's the same then, and that's the same today. So it's good to remember that, that when we see Jesus, oftentimes we saw him riding in the sand. He wasn't picking up a stone. And so this is for you today as well. And maybe he's just riding in the stand. He's not picking up a stone. He's not gonna throw it at you. God's purpose in discipline is not to punish you. It's to bring you back to him. That's his desire. And so if you're feeling conviction at all, like I did when I prepared this, it's not to punish you. It's to make you aware and say, come a little bit closer. That's his heart for you. And you want to know what, what will actually kill lukewarmness in your life once and for all? It's passion. It's purpose. It's your calling. It's the why behind what you do and who you are. We're not meant to live life as passionless people who have no purpose and have no desire. That's the definition of lukewarm. No purpose, no desire. And how can we exist that way when the Bible says that we have the Holy Spirit living in us? How can we be passionless? Passion is what consumes you to do what you do. It's, it's something that'll get you out of bed earlier in the morning than you probably want to. It's something that you're willing to fight for. It's something that you might be willing to die for. It's, it's fire. It's your why. And let me say this. Jesus is looking for passionate followers followers. He's saying to, a lot, to, to us today, come with me. Be with me. Join me. I have gifted you. I have called you. I've given you something that's unique to you. Will you take it? Will you use it? Will you get excited about it? And then come join me. Matthew six twenty four, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself so there's sacrifice in our passion sometimes. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does passion look like for the kingdom of God? It's discovering what God has, purpose God has given you individually. And it's gonna look different for everybody. And some desires and some purpose, some ministry may look more desirable than the one that God has given you. But the one that God has given you is the one that he's given you. And it's going to look different. And it's needed. God needs it. This church needs it. The people in your life that God has placed in your life need that from you. And it's going to look different. So for me, it's men's ministry. You know, I have a passion for that to disciple men, equip men, to kind of leave a spiritual legacy, leave something behind to, to the next generation so they know what it's like to be a man of God. And hopefully that will just trickle down from generation to generation. Prayer is something that, that is passion of mine. And, and, and I will tell you that how I received passion for prayer is being around people that were passionate around prayer. If you, if you feel like, because we're, we're being called as this church to be a, a house of prayer. And if you, you hear about prayer meetings all the time and the 24 prayer that's coming, and, and, and we, I mean, we preach it, we talk about it, we invite you to it, and, and just something in you is like, you know, I'm just not that into it. If you don't have a passion for prayer, I'm gonna invite you to come to a Thursday night, come to a prayer meeting, sit back and just watch. 
Watch what it looks like to be around people that are passionate about it because passion is contagious. And the things that I've watched, men like Taylor and Tim and people that, that, that had a passion for prayer more than I did at the time, I took a lot from how they prayed and what they did and what they said and I applied it and that passion became contagious. Maybe for you, it's, it's hospitality, it's caring for somebody. And if that's you and you just, you just, I just love people, I just need to care for people, then maybe you need to, to be a part of the hospitality team at church and greet people or, or be a part of our meal train and deliver meals for people that have a, this life-altering event. We need people in all of those things. And I'll tell you about the meal train, something about that, because I, I want it to be clear because, yeah, well, I can... I'm not a really good cook, so I don't want to bring a meal or, you know, I feel lame just going to the store and bringing something. I'm going to tell you, the meal train is not about the meal. It's about someone who is suffering, someone who has a need. And all of a sudden now we have someone coming to their home or delivering something. And so they feel valued, they feel seen, and they feel cared for. The meal is very secondary. And if that's your heart, get a hold of us and be a part of that team. Maybe you have a shepherd's heart and a leadership gift. We need you to lead small groups. We have people that are waiting for shepherds to be, to be cared for. We need more small groups in this church. And if you're in a small group and you know that you have that, that God has given that to you and you, you have that gifting and it needs to come out, then, then, then talk to your small group leader. Be a part of that because your church and God needs your leadership here. What's your why? What is your mission that you can get excited about for the kingdom of God? 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. Great verse. A little odd that it's up there talking about passion and purpose. But I'll tell you why I put that up there. It's because Paul said that. And if you know your Bible, you know the impact and the influence that Paul has had in the kingdom of God. But you also know that before his conversion, he persecuted and arrested Christians, oftentimes going into their home and taking them out. He made people renounce God. He took part of the death of Stephen and, and, very, and a lot of other Christians. He was a mess and God saved him and turned it into a ministry. What does that mean? It means that for some of you, you have a passion for God. You have something that you want to give out. But because of something in your past, you feel disqualified. Or maybe it's because of what you're going through in your current situation that you feel you can't be used. And some of you are here are going through pain. And you're going through suffering. And, and you're going through a trial. And I will say, as long as you're still drawing breath... God has something for you. He's not done with you yet. Your days may be numbered. All of our days are numbered. Eternity isn't. And he wants to use you. Maybe he's, he has something to say to you. Maybe he has something to show you. Maybe he has some, he's waiting for you to fully accept him and say, you know what? I'm, you're still drawing breath because Eternity is forever, and I want you to be with me, and you need to, to make that decision today that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior because tomorrow is not promised. 
Don't shut him out. Don't shut him down. That he's calling you. And if you'd open up your heart and your mind to him, God will reveal his heart to you. But like Paul, some of the most powerful things you can do for God come from an area of pain and failure and suffering. We have multiple small groups, three small groups right now that are going because of the leaders going through a life transformation process where they were fearful, they had anxiety, they didn't have this understanding of how the Holy Spirit and God really works. And they discovered something new and they became so passionate about it that they had to start a new group and and share it with other people. We have 30 people now going through something like that and just getting their lives wrecked because someone had passion and says, I need to step up and lead this because I can't contain what God is doing in my life. What about, you know, just... Who better to, to minister to a mom who, who has lost a child than someone who may have lost one herself and has gone through that and, and seen how God has worked in her life since then? Who better to make a meal for someone who's sick than someone who was actually a recipient of that ministry and knew the value of, of knowing that someone was actually paying attention to them and noticed their pain just for a minute, was willing to get inconvenienced in their life just for a minute because they wanted to care for someone else? Who better to minister to someone going through an addiction than one who actually beat that same addiction? If the worst sinner of all, Paul, can have the influence that he had, your past will not disqualify you from the future influence as well. So how do you know if you've been transitioned from lukewarm to fully devoted, which is our mission? How have you transitioned from lukewarm to fully devoted when what does the Lord want beats out what do I want? That's when you know you've transitioned. And once you find your purpose and once you find your passion and you're actually doing things for God's glory within that, there's no chance you stay lukewarm, amen? So let's have communion together. So I would like to call up those who are Serving communion, the worship team, come on up. Taylor's gonna lead us in communion here. But before we step into that, I just wanna read one more verse from this letter. Revelation 3.20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He says, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. This verse is often used for a salvation moment for those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if, I, if that is you today and you're living this life and you don't know Jesus and you don't have passion, you don't have purpose and you don't have, you're just kind of going through the motions of life and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. Just like I said, there, our days are numbered but eternity lasts forever. We have a Savior that loves you, who died for you, and wants to be with you for eternity. So if you don't know what it means to, to have Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to stand over to my left, your right, and I would love to talk to you about what that means and how you can accept him today. But that verse is appropriate for that kind of setting, but I think it's also appropriate to understand the context of when Jesus said that, those words. He was talking to his church. He was talking to us. And the fact that Jesus waits for the door to be open shows his heart towards us. It's patient. It's loving. It's full of grace. 
But this verse also shows that we have a part to play here too. We, we have a responsibility and that's to open the door. That means the door handle on this door is only on one side and that's yours. So Jesus' invitation here on the other side is a, is a renewal, it's, it's, an, it's a request for a renewal companionship together. It's a call to turn away from passionless, going through the motions, checking the box, lukewarm Christianity into something with strong faith, strong passion, and renewed things of God. That's what he's asking for on the other side of the door. It's a, it's a call to spiritually change your temperature. So as we step into a time of communion, I, was, I, would, I would think that we would all be prayerful about this and ask, is it, is it time finally for me to open the door of my heart to the one who wants the absolute best for us? So let's have communion.